As you find your seats, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 51, as we continue our sermon series through the Psalms, as we're looking at created to worship or worship by design, that God has created you for himself. He's made you just the way you are. Um, He loves you and he has created you to know and love him. Uh, What we're doing is we're looking at this creation by design is the reality of a All of life should be worship. And even in our worship service, what we're doing is we're using the Psalms to help us understand the liturgy of our worship, uh, different things that we do, like a call to worship, an invocation. And today we are actually looking at confession, that God has called us to come and to uh, confess our sins, not to cover them up, and let him deal with it. It's such good news. We gotta kind of get to the bad news so we can really celebrate the good news of what he has done for us in Christ Jesus. Uh, it's kind of interesting, a, a preacher plans his sermon schedule. Um, at one time, I was going to preach on lament because lament is a part of our story. It's a part of our worship. I moved it to two weeks ago, or for two weeks from now, and we were gonna do uh, the assurance of our sins being forgiven next week. In light of the tragedy that has happened, uh, I'm gonna do lament next week. Um, as a matter of fact, had I known that our, our service was going to be changed, I probably would have done lament today. Because the reality is, I think that's where we are. I hear it in our singing. I see it in our, in our tears um, of the pain that we're feeling or the loss of this magnitude. But again, let's be mindful that this is still worship because we still have hope in a God who does give us hope even in death. And remember, Zane, little Zane lives because... Jesus lives, and that is our hope. All right, you got your Bibles? You ready to go? Miss Simone, my third grade teacher. Oh, Miss Simone. Let me just say we weren't the best of friends, okay? So I don't know how you're gonna take Miss Simone, but how many teachers do you remember, really remember? There's probably a few that that loved you well, but oh, Miss Simone. Just wasn't really working for me and Miss Simone. I wouldn't be surprised if she's had some therapy sessions because of the Jeffrey Jakes. Well, Miss Simone had the audacity to ask me to do an assignment over and over and over again. Much to my chagrin, did she say, nope, Jeffrey, it's not right. You got to do it again. Nope, still not right. You got to do it again. And so in my fury and anger of Miss Simone, I decided that I would let her know exactly how I feel, but I will do it in a covert way. What I will do is I will actually cuss out Miss Simone, but I will do it by writing my cuss words on the other side of the paper because teachers never turn the paper over, right? They just grade what's on there. I was new to cussing. I wasn't very good at it. I put together two words that usually don't really go together with cussing. It didn't make a lot of sense. I repeated those two words in three sentences over and over and over again. I think if uh, you knew what those three words were like, what were they? Well, it was a word actually I never heard in second grade. But now that I was in third grade, all the fourth graders were saying it. And so... I thought I would use that to cuss out Miss Simone. I don't know how it happened. 
Somehow Miss Simone found those words. Probably somewhere deep inside of me, I was glad she saw those words. But then she called me up to her desk. There on her desk was not just the paper, but flipped over to show me my sin. Miss Simone did what what the most crafty teachers wanting to punish to the deepest of levels could do. No, she didn't belt me. I wish she did. No, she didn't send me to the principal's office. Oh, how I wish she did. No, she didn't suspend me. She just hung over me this sentence. Jeffrey, I'm going to save this little piece of work until when your parents come to parent-teacher conference. Making my life a living hell. <laughs> Terrified. What do you do? I, I, I tried to hold it together. I think I lasted two or three days. But then I buckled. Then I caved. The pressure was too much. It was, it was our typical evening routine. My mother had come up and said prayers with me and tucked me in. And the weight, the guilt, the reality... The showdown with my teacher looming, I confess my sins. I called to my mother and said, would you come? I got to tell you what your son has done. And as a little boy, I said, will you help me ask God's forgiveness? And will you forgive me? And will you help me ask Miss Simone's forgiveness? And so together we, we crafted a, a note that would ask Miss Simone, to forgive me. You see, it all begins with confession. The confession of sins. And and confession is really something that we as Christians should always be doing. It should be a rhythm of our life. It's like breathing. We, We should understand the reality of who God is and all that he has done for us and the reality of all that we haven't done. And our our life should be a daily rhythm of, of confessing our sins because we're always doing it. I mean, moment by moment, day by day, we all are continually sinning. And confession should not only be a part of our individual lives, it should be a part of our daily lives. It should be part of our worship service because remember what we've looked at and we've learned as we've been going through the Psalms that our worship service really tells the the whole story of the gospel. And a big part of the story of the gospel is confession of sins, right? And the reality of what we haven't done or what we have done that's offensive to God. And so part of our worship service isn't just something we we say or sing, but a reality of our hearts to remind us of our story. And that, that is our story. And we also look to the fact that we need to look at each component and where it fits in the big story of the Bible. So let's do that again today. I'm actually asked them to, to project this, to help us to remember, what is the big story of the Bible? Well, it's a story of creation. Our mighty God, our eternal God, he created everything out of nothing. He didn't even use anything. He just spoke. And everything came into existence. And of all of creation, the capstone of that creation was you and it was me. Because male and female, we were made in his image. We were made to know and love him. But we were made specifically to worship him. To be in relationship with him. To walk with him in the cool evening. That's why God made you. He made you to worship. And that's why you're always going to be worshiping something. 
But he made you to be worshiping him. But the story tragically has a fall. It has bad news. And it comes early on in the story. And the fall is when men and women, when Adam and Eve, our representatives, we rebelled against God. We basically said, you know what? We want to do it our way. We want to worship ourselves. We want to worship our stuff. And we rebelled and sinned against God. And what happened was that relationship with God was broken. And the relationship with one another is broken. We're, we're afraid of God. We're afraid of one another. We, we try to cover up our sins and hide. But the story of the Bible is not just creation of designing us for worship and fall and that being broken. It's a story of restoration. This is the good news. The story of restoration, how that relationship is restored only by God's grace and only through the work of his son. And he restores that relationship through Jesus, our Savior. More on that in a few moments. But the story has a consummation or perfection or a closing act where, where God promises us that he will take all of our sin and all of our sorrow. Listen, he promises that there'll be a day coming that there'll be no more death. There'll be no more tragedy. There'll be no more tears. And, and we will gloriously be with him, not just in spirit, but face to face. And the Bible tells us that when we see Jesus, we're going to be like him with glorified, resurrected bodies. The good stuff still yet to come. And that's the consummation when Jesus returns and all is perfected. But we live in the fact of time now is yes, that we've been restored in Christ Jesus, but we're, but we're still fallen. And because of the fall, our lives should continually be a rhythm of repenting and believing the good news of what Jesus has done for us. So let us turn to God's word in Psalm 51 and let us see what God wants to teach us specifically about what does it look like for us to confess our sins? What does it look like for us to do business with our holy God? And what do we receive when we do confess it? Let's hear God's holy word. Uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 17. I'm actually going to read the preface that goes before that. Maybe your translation has that as verse 0. Theologians agree that this is an important part of the Psalms, that we should look to these as we also read the Psalm. And this will help us with the setting of the Psalm, because the setting of the Psalm is very important. Let's hear the word of the Lord. To the choir master, obviously this was meant to be sung as well as read, a Psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So we know the setting of this. The setting of this is when David, a man after God's own heart, David, the king of Israel, David, the adulterer, David, the murderer. And when David's sin was so hard and crusty in his heart that he had to have a prophet come and say, let me tell you a story of a sinful man. And oh, by the way, you are that man. And when God's grace fell upon him and he realized his brokenness and his sinfulness, what came pouring out is this psalm, also the Psalm 32. For those of you who want to dig deeper, let me encourage you to, to read that as well. Hear the word of the Lord. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Let's hit pause. We just read the context. Does that make any sense? 
How in the world can he say, against you and you alone have I sinned? He, he sinned against Bathsheba. He sinned against Uriah. He sinned against God's people. He's the king. But it's the primacy of relationship that was broken. It's the primacy of the law that was trampled. And it was his relationship with God that is so first and foremost that he could say, this is so primary. I got to deal business with you and you alone first. Because you and you alone is my sins most repugnant. Verse 4a, 4b. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. He's not saying here that his mom and dad were in a, in a sinful relationship. He's saying that ever since birth, he's been sinful. Behold, you delight in the truth and in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then, then I will teach transgressors your way and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God. You will not despise. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, we thank you for the depths of love that you have for sinners like us. That it is, this is a place that is safe. A safe to be real and a place that is safe to be honest. And a place that is safe to confess what we are not. Who we are not. And what we haven't done that we should have done and what we did do that we shouldn't have done. And oh God, we thank you that you are a merciful father. And that Jesus, that you are a beautiful savior. And that Holy Spirit, you are a marvelous comfort. So God, come and be with your people. Come and teach us and speak to us. Give us ears to hear your voice. Give us minds to understand your word. God, give us, give us hearts to embrace your truth. Give us mouths that have the ability to, to not only confess our sins, but also to sing your praises. God, give me the ability to teach sinners like me your way, the way of everlasting. Give us hands to love and build up. And God, give us feet to walk in a manner worthy of your name. The things that I said are wrong or merely my opinion. May those things fall away and be forgotten. May you and you alone receive glory. And may we receive great challenge and great joy. And it's in Jesus' holy and perfect name that we pray. Amen. If you want to follow along with me in your bulletin, you'll find an outline. We just have two points this morning. But as we begin, let us again focus on confession. What really is it? What is confession? Well, again, as we looked at earlier in our time of prayer and confession, is confession is 
confessing the things that we have failed to do. Theologians look at our sins and they put it rightly in two different categories. The sins of omission and the, things of, the sins of commission. Stick with me. Hang on. The, things of, the sins of omission are the sins that we commit by not doing that which God asks us to do. Like loving him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Loving our neighbors, ourselves. How you doing there? I don't know about you, but this is the one that I, I don't need to spend more than this amount of time realizing who I am in God's sight. I love him a lot, but I've yet to love him with my whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. I've yet to love him all the time. I love you a lot. But I've yet to love you as much as I love myself. I've yet to really care about you as much as I care about me. I've committed over and over again the sin of omission, of omitting what God has asked me to do. But also uh, confessing the things that we shouldn't do, the, the things that we commit you know those thou shalt nots? Especially just look at the Ten Commandments and, and take a good, honest look at asking the Holy Spirit to help you see where you have put idols in your heart, where you've put things above God, where you've trampled over authority, and you'll see the sins of our commission. So confessing sins, confessing the reality that we are a broken, undone, sinful, selfish people. But not just confess it, but Repent. And repentance is is turning from it, turning from this behavior, turning from our sinfulness with a renewed commitment that that we want to live a holy life that God's called us to. If you've been around the church, you've probably heard of confession. But for many of us, sometimes we think all God wants is a quick sentence that says, you know what, God, forgive all my sins. Let me just blanket all my sins. Just forgive them all. And some of us even think, I've heard it even this week, it's almost like a get-out-of-jail-free card. Hey, I can keep on sinning. I can keep on living the way I want. I can keep on doing, you know what? God's merciful. And I'm just gonna confess my sin. And then you know what? I'm gonna keep living the way that I please. That's not confessing your sin. That's not repenting. And that's what God has called us to do is confess and to turn from them. And here's the reality. We're still gonna have to do it every day because we're still gonna mess up. Even when we say, I vow, God, I'm going to try to live that holy life you're calling me to. Guess what I'm going to have to do tomorrow? I confess, Lord, I didn't do it. And I vow, Lord, I want to live the life you called me to. Oh, I'm still not doing it. God, I confess that I have sinned. And I vow that I really, really now want to do it. Oh, I didn't do it. God, Holy Spirit, gospel, give me power. Give me the ability to do it. That's confession and repentance over and over and over again. We've got two things. The first thing is we're broken because of sin. The first thing is broken because of sin. And when I say broken because of sin, everything, everything is broken because of sin. The world is broken because of our sin. The world is not what it should be. Does anybody want to argue? The world is not what it should be. I mean, we, we lament over things that we shouldn't lament for. Our, our, our kids are, are, are wayward. Our marriages are struggling. Our, our, our parents are, are, are fading away in, in old age. Things aren't what they should be. There's wars and rumors of wars. There's poverty. There's refugees. There's brokenness. There's scandal. I mean, there, there's kids that are being abused. There's kids that are hungry. I mean, this world isn't what it was supposed to be, and we, our sin, is the problem. That's what Scripture says. Scripture says God created all things good. He said that we fell and everything was broken. The world is broken. It's not what it should be. Because of 
our sin. Not only is the world broken, the church is broken. Let's be honest. We're not what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be a city on a hill. We're supposed to be the light of the world. We're supposed to be the safe place that people can raise their hands and say, you know what, I- I'm addicted, I'm broken, I'm messed up. I mean, we are the church, and what are we? Well, let's, let's be honest. I mean, we're hypocritical. We're judgmental. We throw stones better than we give love oftentimes. We're the church. We're redeemed. We're loved. And because of our sin, we're not the bride that we should be. Hey, but we're loved. And we've been made beautiful in Christ. And he's, he's going to finish what he starts. But, but not just the world is broken because of our sin, and not just as the church is broken because of our sins, that we're broken because of the sins. I'm not what I should be. I'm not. I mean, every day I just don't love them enough. And every day I don't love you enough. And every day I don't love my wife enough. And, and let me make it a little bit more clear. I care sometimes more about what you think about me than what God thinks about me. And sometimes, most of the time, almost every time, it's more about performance than it is about grace. And the things that I think about and the things that I say and the things that I do over and over again, I am so broken. And my sin has so broken me. And it's so broken you. Sin affects everybody. And sin is infected everybody. There's no one who is exempt. That's why David would say in verse 3, my sin is ever before me. Can you relate to that? He's basically saying, everywhere I turn, everywhere I think, everywhere I go, I just can't shake it. I mean, it's amazing. How many of you had sinful thoughts even while you're here? How many of you have, don't raise your hand for goodness sakes. uh, I mean, don't identify you, but how many of you have hatred in your heart for someone who's worshiping with you right now? How many people have lusted for somebody in this auditorium right now? How many people have sinned even while we worship our God together? Man, are we sinful people. It's ever before us. It's ever before us. He knew the reality. He would say in verse 5 that not only is it ever before us, but I was brought forth in iniquity. He's basically saying, I'm born into the problem. I'm born into the problem. I love asking this question. Are we sinners because we sin? Listen to this. Are we sinners because we sin, or do we sin because we're sinners? Hear it again. Are we sinners because we sin, or do we sin because we're sinners? And the answer is, Yes, but what's the, what's the, really, the second one. We sin because we are sinners. We are born with a condition of depravity. We're born with a condition of brokenness. No one has to teach us how to sin. I mean, it comes naturally because the Bible says, right for this, by nature, we are children of wrath. By nature, we are sinners. It doesn't leave us because we are born with a condition of sin. The Bible tells us why. It says that that through our first parents, Adam and Eve, that when they sinned, their brokenness was just naturally passed on to all of us. Their brokenness, because they're sinners, we're sinners. But you know what it also says? Listen, you've got to hang on to this. This is really interesting. The Bible says that not only are we sinners because of their sin, and that's been passed on, we're born that way. You ready for this? It also says that their guilt is our guilt. That Adam and Eve, guilty in the, in, in the garden, is our guilt. How does that make you feel? Should make you mad, kind of mad. Say, that just stinks. That's not fair, man. And, and you guys say, the, we're going to learn that, that, 
Adam and Eve are our federal heads. They perfectly represented us. And, and guess what? You would have done the same thing in the garden. But their guilt was passed on to you. It's imputed onto you. And you, you may not like it, but here's what's a beautiful truth about that. And Adam's guilt is our guilt so that Jesus' righteousness can be our righteousness. So through another, we're guilty. And through, as Romans 5 says, through the second Adam, through Jesus Christ, we're declared not guilty. We are declared not guilty. We, we, yes, are born with the brokenness of Adam, but we've been restored to the righteousness of Christ, Jesus, and what he has done for us. The reality that we have nothing to offer God, the reality that all we have is depravity, causes the psalmist to say in verse 1, have mercy on me, O God, according to what? According to your steadfast love. It's a beautiful Hebrew word. Of, it's called hesed. It's this loving kindness of God, this covenant relationship with God. According to God's loving kindness, have mercy on me. He doesn't say this, God, have mercy on me. I'm a man after your own heart. He doesn't say, have mercy on me, God. I'm the king of Israel. He doesn't say, have mercy on me, God. I killed Goliath. Have mercy on me, God. I've slain your enemies by the tens of thousands. He knows that. You know what he has to offer? Righteousness? Zero. You know what he has? The same thing you and I have. You ready for this? Filthy rags. So he comes to God and he says, I want you to be merciful to me according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Why? Because I got nothing else to barter with. And that's truly confessing sin when you realize that you got nothing and all you bring is a filthy rag and you cry mercy. Verse four, he knows who God is. He's a just God. That God is justified and blameless in his judgment. That I'm guilty. You're guilty. We're guilty. And we confess that reality. Let me encourage you to confess your sins and be as specific as you can. Be as specific. Let God examine your heart. Search me, O God. See if there's any hurtful, harmful way in me, Psalm 139 says. And when you do business with God and you get alone with him and say, God, search me and, and let me be specific about the things I struggle with. Let me be very specific about the sins I have. Because that will help purge you and that will help wash you because God wants to deal with that. I remember a specific time in my life when someone came to me and, and they told me that I was in sin. They pointed out sin in my life and, and I wanted to say, no, I'm not. I'm a good guy. I, I didn't do those things. There's a lot of things that I, I didn't do and I, I didn't cross lines. I, I, I showed respect. I'm okay. I'm a righteous man. And I got away and God's put his hand on me. He put his hand on me. And I'm telling you, he got me to the floor. When it says he crushed my bones, I understand. Because I had unconfessed sin in my life that, that I tried to justify. And it wasn't until I said, you know what? I stood where you stood, Jesus. I was so wrong. I was entangled in things emotionally. I was entangled in things. I was broken in so many ways. And I may want to say that there's some lines I didn't cross, but there's a lot I did. God, would you forgive me? Have you ever had your bones crushed because of sin? Have you ever had God take you to the mat? Do you know how glorious and gracious that is? Do you know that God loves you so much he wants to drive out any imperfection? 
Do you know he wants you to deal? It's a grace of God that drives us to the mat. And it's a grace of God that, that we could confess it. Why? So we could be forgiven of it. So that we could be set free. Confess your sins as specifically as you can. But this is equally as important. We cannot link specifically our sins to certain situations. We can't say that, yes, the world is broken. And this is the reason my kids are acting this way because of that thing, one thing that's happened. Or my marriage is not working because of this one thing. Or, or heaven forbid this death happened because of this specific event. We live in a broken world. And the brokenness of this world is because of our sin. But we cannot link a specific sin to the ways of God. It's very, very dangerous to do so. In the Gospel of John, there's a beautiful story. John 9, there's a man who was born blind since birth. And his apostles, Jesus' apostles, disciples, they're, they're walking together and they see this man born from birth and they ask a question. They say this, now Jesus, this man who's blind, whose sin is it? Was, it? was it his parents' sin? Is it his parents' fault that he's blind? Or was it his own sin? Now, you got to give it a little bit of credit to the apostles because they were theologically right with the reality that blindness is a result of a sinful, fallen world. But do you know the audacity of them? They wanted to blame the parents. They wanted someone to blame. Say, no, who, who, who can we look at and say, you know what? You screwed up so much, your kid's blind. Or they wanted to have the audacity to say, do you know you deserve this? you know how awful that is? Job, beautiful book in the Bible, probably the oldest book in the Bible. It's a story of a, a righteous man. God himself will call him a righteous man, a, a man who, who loves God and did a lot of good things. And whose life, if you read the book of Job, I mean, oh my gosh, he loses not one child, he, he loses 10. He doesn't lose some of his stuff, he loses all of his stuff. I mean, his life was so bad, his wife will look at him and says, will you please curse God and die? He said, no, blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord gives and the Lord takes. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And Job's friends show up, and I'm telling you what, man, they were, they were superstar friends for the first week. The Bible will tell us in Job that, that Job's friends showed up. You know what they did for the first week? They hung out with him. They, they wept with him. They just sat in his brokenness. When he wept, they wept, and they probably wiped off his tears and cleaned up the snot, and they just were there. But then they did something tragically wrong. They opened their mouth, and they started to want to say, Job, let me tell you why this is happening. Let me tell you the mystery of ways of God that are in our ways. Let me tell you, Job, you're not that righteous. You know, you, you know what, Job? You, you didn't give to the poor, and he did. And you didn't do this, and he had. And, you, and they judged him. And the story of Job is this. Is God gets so incredibly angry at the end of the story after he restored Job's life and it was gracious to Job. Guess who God is ticked at? Those friends. He said, you know what you did? You tried to take tragedy. And you tried to say, this is why I acted. I'm angry with you. You got to go to Job and ask for a sacrifice. You got to ask Job to pray for you. So the point of this is twofold. One is be as specific about your sins as possible. Don't use that get out of jail, forgive all my sins. But don't you dare 
look at a specific thing and say, this is why this has happened. See, our sin problem has broken everything. Everyone is to blame, but there's only one who can remedy the situation. There's only one who can cure. There's only one answer, and there's only one hope, and his name is Jesus. You see, everything was broken because of our sin. You ready for this? Including our Savior. Incredibly, the story of the Bible is, yes, it's all broken, but our sin has broken our Savior, and through his brokenness, you ready for this? We're healed. I mean, through his brokenness, we are forgiven. Through his brokenness, we are cleansed. The only way that the psalmist, or that God can answer the psalmist's plea to be merciful, O oh God, be merciful to me and maintain his justice is that he would take his only begotten son and break him because of our sins. The only way that God could be merciful and just is that his son would die on the cross for our sins. He would cry out in verse 9, Father, hide your face from my sins. Look away from them. Haven't you wanted to do that with God? Don't, Don't look at my sins, God. They're terrible. The only way God could look away from your sins was on the cross. When Jesus became your sin, when Jesus bore the weight of your sin, and when the Father looked away because sin was so repugnant, yours and mine, and that Jesus would cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? He looked away. The Father hid his face from our sins on the cross. Jesus experienced that hell so this prayer could be answered. The the cry out, Father, cast me not away from your presence. What did he do? He took his only begotten son. He's been with with eternity. And he cast him out of his presence. On that tree, on the cross, he cast him out of his presence. So why? So sinners like us can say to him, don't ever cast me away. And he'll say, I never will. I'll never let you go. The Father, he purges us and washes us clean with the blood of Christ, not just hyssop. The Father, he restores to us the joy of his salvation. And the only way we have the joy of his salvation is if we know his son is our savior. Everything is broken because of our sin. And thank God for a broken savior because of our sin. But we now need to be broken over our sin. The American cartoonist Walt Kelly penned famous words He may have been referring to something that came out of the 18th War of 1812, but he said this, we've met the enemy and he is us. Everything is broken and we are the problem. The problem isn't out there. The problem is in here. What God has asked us to do, we haven't done. What God has told us not to do, we have done. We're fake. We're phony. We're hypocritical. Our hearts are filled with idols. We've taken his name in vain. So what do we do? We mourn. We become broken over our brokenness. Because why? Because God's word says this, the sacrifice God requires from us is not to bring a goat to kill. The sacrifice is of a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart to come to the reality of a holy God saying, I'm so sorry, I'm broken. Mend me. Heal me. It's what Paul will call in 2 Timothy or 2 Corinthians 7:10, that we're to have a godly grief that produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. 
Not a worldly grief that doesn't do any good. He's basically saying this. Our sins should take us to a cross and we should see the depth of penalty that needed to be paid so that we truly are broken over it and ask for forgiveness. It should produce in us a godly grief. I ran off the bus faster than I ever ran off the bus. And I ran into the room as quick as I ever ran into our room and I said, Mom, Mom, Miss Simone, she forgave me. She forgave me. And I don't know why we did it, but we went up to my room and into my, into my closet, maybe because of the shame of sin and maybe because it was a privacy of sin. I don't know, but, but we took that paper, we took those cuss words and we ripped it up. I was forgiven. I was free. Jesus carried a cross up a hill that he would be nailed to. For all of your sins and all of my sins, he would rip them up. He would rip them up and cover them with his blood so that we could be forgiven and so that we could be free. Do you know that joy? Do you know the joy of coming to a God who is holy and confess the reality that you're not? And do you know the joy of being forgiven and set free. Oh, may today be the day that you taste that good news if you never have. For those of us who know that joy, may we continually live our lives of confessing, repenting, and believing the good news. Get yourself in a community that does this, that together we can confess, together we can remember. We're not what we should be, but we're forgiven. We're not what we're gonna be, but we're loved and we're safe to confess the reality that we need a Savior named Jesus every moment of our lives. Let us pray. Father, thank you for the depth of love that you have clearly shown for sinners like us. That God, not only is it safe to come into your holy presence as sinful people, but God, you provided a way for us to be forever cleansed. It is the greatest story ever told that we don't have to come in here and pretend. And we don't have to come in here and try to cover up what we've done. That we can freely come up into your presence and say, here am I, a broken, lousy sinner. Love me. Forgive me. And we can run to Christ and be mindful that he was cast out so that we could be brought in, that he was pierced so that we could be cleansed, that he was driven away so that we could be pulled close, that he would die, that we could live, that he would become our sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. God, give us the grace to confess our sins, to repent of them, and to walk in a manner worthy of your name. We pray in Christ's name, amen.